For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom, I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Salt Covenant. This is part one of the series. What is a salt covenant? And what are the concepts and ideas, and what are the things associated in the Bible with salt and a salt covenant? To begin with, we are going to understand that salt represents life. And in the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Trumbull, on page 47, he explains that salt stands for life. And then in the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Trumbull, on page 67, he further explains that blood, salt, and light represents life. Salt was blood. Blood was life. Salt represents life, and life was light. So, blood and salt and light represents or is associated with life. Now, in Matthew, in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, we can see how Yeshua associated salt with life and light, as it is written. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is therefore good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. So when Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, his next statement that is linked with that thought or idea is you are the light of the world. We cannot lose our zeal for being Yeshua's disciple, or we cannot lose our salt. In Luke chapter 14, verses 33 and 34, it is written, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has cannot be my disciple. Yeshua went on to explain, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Trumbull on page 60, he explains that a salary is associated with salt. And so we may have heard of the phrase salt money. And salt money is associated with a salary. And we can see this link or this association 
from the following. When we say that a man is not worth his salt, we mean that he's not worth his living. And historically, salt has been employed as money at various times in human history. So a salt covenant is going to represent giving of yourself to another. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Trumbull on page six, he explains that the primitive idea of a covenant in God's sight by which one gives over one's very self or one's entire possessions to another. Salt sharing represents a covenant relationship. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 16, he explains the idea that salt sharing represented covenant making or a covenant relationship. So a salt covenant, given that it's associated with a covenant, it is then linked with being fixed forever and unchangeable. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 134, he explains, salt stands for and corresponds with and symbolizes blood and life. As such, it represents the supreme gift from the supreme giver. Because of this significance of salt, when made use of as a means of a lasting union, the covenant of salt as a form or a phase of the blood covenant is a covenant fixed, permanent, and unchangeable. It represents something that is enduring forever. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble, on page 16, he explains, therefore, that a covenant of salt implies something that is permanent and unchangeable. The name Yahweh is associated with being forever and covenant keeping, as explained in the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on pages 141 and 142. The very name Jehovah includes the idea of a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. The declaration of Jehovah's eternally existing personality as Jehovah is in itself a covenant promise for all time to come to those who are his covenant people. A salt covenant is mentioned three times in the Bible. First, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 18, verse 8 and verse 19. And here we're going to see that the God of Israel made a salt covenant with Aaron and his sons forever. As it is written, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given you and your sons and your daughters with you by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto you and to your seed with you. And so by associating this promise with a covenant of salt, it means that that which the God of Israel promised to Aaron and his sons was meant to be forever and unchangeable. In Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5, we can see the promises that the God of Israel made to King David, that these promises are to be forever. Thus, we have the association and use of the term salt covenant. In Second Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5, it is written, Ought ye not to know 
that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. So let's summarize what we've covered so far in this teaching. Salt represents life. A salt covenant represents sharing of each other's lives and giving of yourself for into another. A salt covenant is eternal and everlasting. And the God of Israel made a salt covenant with Aaron and his sons, meaning the promises that he was making to them are forever. And it included that they would serve in the tabernacle and the temple. Number five, the God of Israel made a salt covenant with David and his heirs that the kingdom of Israel would be given to him. Next, we're going to see the idea or the concept that an altar is a place of worship unto the God of Israel. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 77, he explains that an altar is a table of communion with God. And in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 13, we see that the God of Israel required that salt be the means by which he wanted to be worshipped upon his altar, as it is written. And you shall bring the meat offering when it is presented unto the priest, and he shall bring it unto the altar. And every oblation of your meat offering shall ye season with salt. Neither shall ye suffer the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your meat offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt." So the place by which you worship the God of Israel is building an altar unto him and having communion and worship unto him at that altar. So the God of Israel says, all the things you bring and put upon my altar that you shall offer salt. In other words, what you bring unto the God of Israel, this is a covenant relationship with him. And this relationship that you're making with the God of Israel is meant to be unchangeable and it's meant to be a commitment that you are making forever. And the meat offering, which in Hebrew is minha, it is associated with a free will or gift that you come and bring from your heart. And so the God of Israel is communicating in this that when you bring something of your free will of your heart unto him, and the primary thing that we're supposed to bring unto him is we're to commit our lives unto him and commit our lives for service to his kingdom. That when we come and we make that commitment and we enter into communion or relationship, with the God of Israel. He wants it to be in the form of a covenant, something that we make a fixed and permanent decision from our heart to have this relationship with the God of Israel for the rest of our lives and to be committed and faithful to it. That is the reason and the spiritual meaning associated with the God of Israel wanting salt to be put on his altar and be associated with the offerings that we bring. In Mark chapter 9 verse 49 it is written, For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. 
We can see in Ezekiel in chapter 43, verse 18 and verse 24, that the burnt offering is to be given with salt, as it is written. And he said unto me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances of the altar in the day when they shall make it to offer burnt offerings thereon and to sprinkle blood thereon. And you shall offer them and the priest shall cast salt upon them and they shall offer them up for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And so a burnt offering must be freely and joyfully given, and a burnt offering is to be completely consumed upon the altar. And so the burnt offering also represents our lives and our commitment of our lives to be dedicated to the God of Israel, to his service, and to his kingdom. And so that's why we have the words from Romans in chapter 12 and verse 1, explaining that our lives are to be a burnt offering unto the God of Israel, as it is written, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, which means our lives, to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So an altar and then a table that we would have in our homes, in our kitchen, where we would eat from, are spiritually synonymous with each other. We can see this from Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. O priests that despise my name, and you say, Wherein have we despised your name? You offer polluted bread upon my altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted you? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 29, he explains that salt alone on a table can represent a covenant relationship. He explains, salt alone is the basis of an enduring covenant, but bread alone on a table does not represent the same thing. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 77, he explains that the Jewish understanding is that the table from which we eat represents or symbolizes an altar where we present and give worship unto the God of Israel. The Talmud emphasizes the home table of the Jew as the altar before the Lord to be approached in sacrifice with the essential offering of salt. And it is a Jewish Sabbath custom to share eating bread with salt. This is explained in the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 76, where he says, The head of the house, having invoked the divine blessing with these words, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who causes bread to grow out of the earth, takes bread and breaks it in as many pieces as there are people present. And having dipped each piece of bread into salt, he hands a portion in turn to everyone and they share it together. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on pages 22 and 23, he explains that a covenant of salt consists of eating bread and salt together at a table. 
A covenant of salt between two parties is generally, although not always, made by their partaking of bread and salt together. In Job chapter 6 and verse 6, it is written, Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? And the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew scriptures translated into Greek, reads in this verse, Can bread be eaten without salt? In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 101, he explains that treachery is associated with being unfaithful to salt. As he explains, the idea of treachery is associated with being faithless to salt. In the Persian culture, the term for traitor is namak haram, which means untrue to salt. In the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble, on page 23, he explains that bread with no salt represents unfaithfulness. My bread has no salt in it, as a mode of accounting for any act of treachery or failure in fidelity toward one who was a partaker of the bread of hospitality. We can see from Ezra chapter 4 verse 14 that by eating at the king's table, you were expected to be loyal to him, as it is written. Now, because we have maintenance from the king's palace, and it was not meet for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore have we sent and certified the king. And so this word in the King James that was translated as maintenance is the Strong's number 4415 in the Strong's Hebrew Dictionary. And the pa'al form of the Hebrew word means to eat salt. Next, from the book The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble, on page 22, he explains that when you sit down together with someone at a table, one of the meanings is, is it represents reconciliation. He explains, when enmity subsists, the fiercer Arabs will not sit down at the same table with their adversary. Sitting down together with your enemy, it communicates reconciliation. Now let's summarize what we've covered in this part of our teaching on the Salt Covenant. Number one, an altar and table is seen as a place of worship of the God of Israel. They are synonymous with each other. Number two, the God of Israel requires salt to be upon his table. Number three, salt alone on the table can represent a covenant with the other party. Number four, the burnt offering was given with salt. And a burnt offering represents our lives that we live unto the God of Israel. We are to live our lives and make in eternal, unchangeable commitment to serve the God of Israel, to be faithful to him as we are in covenant relationship with him. Number five, 
Our lives are to be a burnt offering and salt unto the God of Israel for his kingdom and for the fruit of his kingdom. Number six, a covenant of salt consists of eating bread and salt together at a table. Number seven, it is a Jewish custom to eat bread and salt with your Sabbath meal. Number eight, eating bread with no salt represents unfaithfulness. Number nine, treachery is associated with being unfaithful to salt. And number 10, eating salt at the king's table obligates you to honor, respect, and be loyal to him. Next, we're going to see from the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 125, that a piece of ground with salt is regarded as dead land. As he explains, salt is spoken of in the Bible as destructive of vegetable life and barrier against new animal life. A piece of ground sown or stewed with salt is deemed dead land. It is not sown nor bears nor any grass grows therein, the scripture says. Now let's look at Judges chapter 9 verse 45 where here we can see that a piece of ground with salt is regarded as barren or dead land, as it is written. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. And he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and he sowed it with salt. Swampland is associated with salt. Ezekiel chapter 47 verse 11. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. The Dead Sea is the saltiest sea in the world. From the book, The Salt Covenant by Clay Tremble on page 126, he explains the one great body of water that is called the Dead Sea is the saltiest sea in the world. And the Dead Sea is called in the Bible the Salt Sea. In Numbers chapter 34 verse 12, it is written, And the border shall go down to Jordan, and the goings out of it shall be at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land with the coasts thereof round about. The Dead Sea only receives water. It doesn't give out water. The Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 8.6 times saltier than the ocean. And one of the reasons the Dead Sea is so salty is because there are no water outlets. And so the Dead Sea represents somebody who in living their lives, they only take in, they only receive, they don't give out and bless others as well. In the scripture, disobedience to the God of Israel and to his Torah is associated with us having then as an outcome a salt land as it is written in Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 18 and verses 22 and 23 as it is written lest there be among you one whose heart turns away this day from the Lord your God to go and to serve the gods of these nations 
so that the generations to come, when they see the plagues of that land, and that the whole land thereof is brimstone and salt and burning that is not sown, nor bears, nor any grass grows therein, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. We can see from Jeremiah in chapter 17 and verses 5 and 6 also how departing from the God of Israel and his ways and his Torah and his word is linked or associated with living in a salt land. In Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 5 and 6 it is written, Thus says the Lord God, Cursed be the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his arm and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness Well, that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject, The Salt Covenant. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.